Notable. Hello again. Welcome to Notable with me, Elizabeth Olker. I'm me, Stuart McConey. I'm producer Jeff. And maybe Terry. Terry, are we sleeping at the moment in Elizabeth's flat? He's being good for a change. He is. Stories from the world of music that we bring to the table. We share them with one another. We share them with you. Curious, fascinating, interesting little... um, Stories from the kind of history and culture of music. Mm, All kinds of music. That's right. So today, Uh, in in a little while, I'm going to be talking about, well, we are going to be talking about Gesualdo, Carlo Gesualdo, a composer literally hundreds of years ahead of his time, Mm. who is also very famous for the terrible crime he committed. His music and his life were both shocking. And we're starting with Death Punk. Let's let me. T- we're going to talk about something phenomenal, aren't we? You're going. To, you yeah. find out about this called Turbo Ugend. Let me tell you quickly the starting points. I was walking through the streets of Wigan the other day, where I'm from, <laughs> which is where all good music stories. That's start. right. And a lad walked past me. Young man walked past me in the street, and he had a jacket on, a very elaborately festooned jacket and design jacket, and it said Turbo Ugend Wigan, and it had a sailor's cap on, and he had lots of other badges on it. And I thought. That's an interesting word, turbo you again. That's something youth, turbo youth. So as I'm walking behind him, I Googled it on my phone and uncovered this amazing story about a Norwegian band called Turbo Negro and the passionately devoted global army of fans, Turbo Jugend. So you've been looking into it a bit. I have, yeah. So Turbo Negro, a Norwegian rock band. Yeah. They had two phases in their careers, didn't they? They started out in 1989 and that phase ran until 1998 then their lead singer was institutionalized mm-hmm. on tour while they were in mm-hmm. italy actually went off i think he ran a whale sanctuary for a little while he, yes uh, became did. a scientologist that's right and now he's very much settled as a family man yeah they came back with a different british singer mm-hmm. actually uh, and had this second phase which started in 2002 which continues mm. yeah and their style is kind of i was i've been listening today yeah it's sort of it, they're influenced by black flag aren't they in the hardcore There's scene and going on it's a bit glam rock and roll punk. it's it a bit rock and roll yeah yeah, it's yeah. Not, uh, i was actually having quite a lovely time listening. well i enjoyed some they of keep it. getting classed as death punk but as the turbo ugend who we'll come on to in a minute will say they're only, they're only a piece to be one band who played death punk and it's turbo and it's negro um, so it's just this wild kind of yeah. mix of styles but with no offense to them i find the far more interesting thing than the band or their music is this following they've got it is yeah turbo ugend turbo youth yeah I looked this up and I soon began to realise that there are branches of Turbo Jugend literally all over the world. 23,000 different branches. It's incredible, isn't it? And Because they're not actually that massive in terms of record sales or the size of their shows. They'll play like a 3,000 show in in LA, maybe. I think the original lead singer is worth about a million dollars. So it's not, we're not talking like... Huge. We're not talking like Depeche Mode or another band that I thought of who had this kind of like that kind of dedication and commitment from fans. There's a couple of little documentaries about them on YouTube about the phenomenon of Turbo Ugend, and the fans in that actually say one of the fans says the five insignificant guys from Oslo. He basically says the music's not really what it's about anymore. Almost like it's it's outgrown the band. It's about the community who are. All, literally all over the world. Um, I can imagine because they were still going so... Well, it was like the early 90s, wasn't it? And this was 
this was the days of chat rooms because I remember really, a really good point I remember we used to sit in IT as it was then I mean yeah. it was basically an hour playing on paint shop or eventually when this when it started chatting to the person next to you so we'd be sitting in the same room talking to each other on the Green Day forum <laughs> This is a really good point. That and I'm that was considered. Yeah, so you, that was really thing. the growth mm. of the internet and chat rooms as well. Yeah, because like, how else? How else? That was the first thing I thought. Because you see these fans, and they they're like you say, spread out all over the world. There's thousands of them. How did they find each yeah, other? Yeah. And it must have been through chat rooms. And, Got to have been. Uh, what's quite nice about it is, I think that they are kind of a unique band, so they would attract this a unique following or a yeah. particular kind of person. I mean. Because they're style. I know the hardcore scene is associated with all different kinds of things, isn't it? And eventually, mm. skinheads became kind of associated with racism and homophobia. Mm. Actually, originally, they were very inclusive, weren't they? And and again, and anti-racist, were, yeah. yeah. Well, and, well, and straight edge. The original skin, the original and, British skinheads were very yeah. into Jamaican music. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Turbo Negro kind of play up to this because they dress a little bit like village people. They do. They're called sailors. <laughs> they, they were like were, um, they wear little sailors' hats. Yeah. And the the logo on the back of the it's called a cutter there were a thing called a cutter the fans which is basically like a hell's angel has their jacket but turbo you get nothing like hell's angels they make fun of that themselves saying we're nothing like hell's angels but they were this thing called a cutter which is a jacket designed it's denim isn't it it's mm. denim and it's got the little sailor's hat on the back i think the reason for that is in the beginning wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. They modelled themselves on the Kiss Army, yep. who, are Kiss's fan, who are Kiss's fans, and they started off as the Turbo Negro Navy. So there's a lot of sailor imagery going on in it, but now they're called Turbo Ugend. And we, that point that you made is, is also a play on Well, that's Hitler a very Youth, good point. Yeah. Turbo Ugend is a play on Hitler Ugend, except completely different in that the first rule of, if you look up their rules online, the first rule is we will not tolerate racism, racism. Homophobia, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Which the band are very much about as well. They yeah. wanted to kind of upend those, yeah. um, you know, perceptions about the hardcore scene or the death punk, you know, that kind of world. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're funny. It's all very tongue-in-cheek, which is. is what I like about yeah, it. Yeah, it is. And even and fans don't seem to be telling that they're incredibly passionate about it, but know that it's also fun. They're also, they look... Because what struck me about this guy, Sean Wiggin, they look at first glance quite, I don't know if threatening's the word. They look like it, Pat Phoenix with a moustache. Oh, you're talking about the band now, the yeah, followers. No, I was band. thinking of the followers, because it's got this turbo Ugend and everything about it looks like it could be. It looks a bit militaristic, a bit Hells Angelsy, and so yeah. it's interesting that the thing is actually much more funny and light-hearted than that. But I think the really brilliant thing about it, the, these 20,000 chapters all over the world, you give yourself a new name. Chapters, you give yeah. yourself a warrior name. Yeah. When you join, and so you put that on your you put that on your coat. So if you watch this documentary that I watched, you'll come across people called things like Dolly Suicide, and Angie Apocalypse. Even the names are quite like that. One of the names, one of the most hilarious ones, is completely unrepeatable. And the thing is, the idea is I love because there is that camper. It's a ca- it's, it's a camper, a isn't camp it? About it, yeah. The thing I love about it is what that would your people what would say, your um, Turbo Ugand's name but be? Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I find it very attractive that you, if you're in, if you're in Turbo Ugend, you can, if you're going to go and visit 
Cape Town or Gothenburg or whatever, you can go on, and they do. They say, uh, hey, can I hook up with Turbo Yuga in the city? And basically, you've got friends all over the yeah. world. Again, a social media on. thing. Because they find right. each other on, on Facebook, don't they? They and, do, they do. And Instagram. And, and they have a massive festival, two days every year. On, they do. Is it July that the 27th? Yes. Which is, so. which is one of the band's birthday, I think. Okay. Right, and they have right. a festival in the San Paoli district of Hamburg, which, if you know anything about football and stuff, is the super hipster right on football club of Germany. And so it makes sense that they'd have the, the party there in San Paoli. Lots of girls in Lots that documentary as well, Lots which is quite nice terrible, to see. Yes, yeah. It's very non threatening. Yeah. And I looked up, because I looked at this thing all over the world, and I found there are 15 members of the Wigan chapter, of which I saw one. And I want to say hello if he's listening to Sergeant Snow, because I've looked online and I think the guy I saw, there's a little video of him in a pub in Wigan, and I think the guy I saw was Sergeant Snow, as is his warrior name. So uh, they seem really lovely people and their commitment to this kind of quite fun, th silly thing, I think is really heartening. There's so much kind of division in the world without getting heavy about it, that it's quite nice to see people who are nice. making a global family devoted to having fun, you know, yeah. Pat Terrier. I'll be. Pat Terrier. Yeah. That's going to be your Turbo, Turbo Yugen name. Yeah. Great. Does that work? Yeah, I think it works perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Do you think these are people who are sort of outsiders at school and then they find their tribe online and there are other people in small towns like Wigan, but in maybe, I don't know, northern Finland or something and they're also a bit outsiders, you know, a bit kind of... Um... I think there's an element of outsider in it, of people who want to find like-minded people out, and maybe they're not. Yeah. You know, they seem very normal, fun-loving people, but maybe they've always been that kid at school who didn't want to go along with the herd. I guess it's a bit like goth. Yeah, it is like it's goth. It's a bit like goth, maybe, mm. that very strong subculture yep. that's slightly outsidery, but also not as dark as people make it yeah, out to be. Skate, yeah, the skater culture is a bit like that because a lot of people is. carry skateboards around who can't skate. Yeah. But the way they dress, maybe the music they listen to, hanging around skate parks, it's all sure. part of the kind of And certainly that kind of progressive subculture. attitude as well, anti-racist and yep. quite leftish politics, liberal politics, yep. the skater community had, didn't mm. they, as well? So yeah, I think there is, I think there's some of that. Mm. In one of the documentaries on land, there are two great Aussies two Aussie lads who are talking about it. And one of them says, I wear my tur Turbo Yugen Kuta every other day when I'm not at work. Basically when he's not, when he's not at work. work. So get, no. And he says, this is, my, this is the real me. This is my second skin. It is kind of, it is escapism, I suppose, that, isn't it? You the can other, enter a world yeah. of Oh, it's a world. The other, the other Aussie in it, who's the one that wants with the unrepeatable name, if you watch this online, he's a big guy, big, bulky guy, with big long, you know, a long and a big beard. And he says, this is the most important thing in my life. And then he says, this is, he says, it's a bit sad really, isn't it? He said, but this is the most important thing in my life. And he says, oh. I'm going to start crying. And it's a really touching moment in the thing. He says, I'm going to start crying. And you realise this means so much to this it's guy. It's his family. It's his, it's his family, mm. yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, a, it's, it's, it's charming. From the outside, it doesn't look charming at all. Death punk, people throwing lager at each other. But it's really a heartwarming story. Yeah, but you can imagine if you are like the death punk kid at school and then you realise there are like thousands of other death punk kids yeah, out there. I You're know. like, oh, I found I'm my people. I'm going to join. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to set up a northern quarter branch of me and Terry. You and Terry? Yeah. yeah. yeah Turbo Yugen <laughs> then Q. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get a Turbo Yugen name for Terry. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have you got a notable exception for us, Stuart? Yeah, this is where we look at a one-off, a unique fact. And, uh, well, it's tied in with death punk because it's something to do with punk. The Sex Pistols, there's only one album. If you don't count compilations, stuff like that. Of course. Uh, it's interesting, to think, interesting to think of a, of a band with more influence ever who've only made one album I doubt if there is is there then never mind the bollocks is the Sex Pistols that's their only proper studio album can't think of any I think that's probably the most influential one album yeah. band ever although some of the other people who only made one album Derek and the Dominoes oh. Lauren Hill The Modern Lovers Jeff Buckley of course so Jeff, Buck- quite a few Jeff people Buckley's a big one yeah quite, but I doubt if anybody could claim to have had Did a career he Did oh he didn't finish the second one no the, my sweetheart the drunk is yeah. a sort of hodgepodge thing Ooh. isn't it no the the most influential one album only band ever has got to be the Sex Pistols Elizabeth are you familiar with Carlo Gesualdo or Gesualdo I, I am roughly roughly mm. I, I've loved his music for a, quite a while now. Magicals. He's best known for his collection of magicals, but in fact, really, I, I would say that, he's best known, I guess, for the fact that the circumstances of his life are kind of as shocking as... As influential. As the music. As his, his music, music is influential. His music yeah. is incredibly shocking. It was so far ahead of its time, but his life was shocking as well. Well, this is what people say, isn't it? Like, was it his music that made him famous or was it his um, this event that I'm sure you're going to tell us about yeah. that made his music famous or, you know, would he... Because would, we, we would probably wouldn't still be talking about him just for that one thing that he did. No. Had his music not also been very special. Alex Ross, the New Yorker music yeah. critic who wrote, wrote several brilliant books, The Rest Is Noise, about classical music, said... If Gesualdo had not committed such shocking acts, we might not pay such close attention to his music. But if he had not written such shocking music, we would not curse so much about his deeds. Okay. Many bloodier crimes have been forgotten. It's the nexus of high art and foul play that catches our fancy. What a nexus that is. What a nexus it is. Carlos Gesualdo de Venosa, he was the Prince of Venosa, he was a noble man, mm-hmm. very musically talented. Uh, we're talking sort of 1560s to 1613 he died. So they, this is like 400 years ago. 400 years ago. Late Renaissance, would that be? Yeah. It probably, yeah. Forgive me, historians, if that's completely wrong. It's, it's Renaissance. It is. Musically talented, like a lot of people in his time, you know, he was educated, he played the harps, he got played all things. But his, the music he wrote as a young man is pretty undistinguished, really. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing special about it. But then the famous act to which you refer. He marries Donna Maria, who... She, soon after they are married, embarks on an affair with a no, another local nobleman. We're talking about the Naples area, basically. 
he suspects this, Jesualdo. He says to his wife, I'm going to go on a hunting trip. I'll be away from town for a few days. It's a trap. He returns home unexpectedly. As he thinks he will, he catches the lovers in flagrante delicto, as they say. And he kills them both in a terrible, brutal mm. attack. He stabs, it's very violent. He stabs it's his wife 200 times. Yep. And he stabs the guy as well and, and shoots him. It's not, you know, we shouldn't make light of it because it is a terrible and bloody act that he does. People do say, don't they, that it wasn't an act of kind of insanity, that he was heartbroken and acting out of, That's out of his pain. That's interesting. Uh, apparently, and this is again not to excuse him, but it was not a, a nobleman in his position at the time finding this happening. It would have been almost Acceptable. expected, accepted, mm. a- accepted that that's how he'd respond. To kill her and her lover would have been almost the accepted way of, to deal with it. Yeah, And until quite recently, that's the way it's kind of been spoken well, about, I mean, isn't French. it? By historians, almost, you know, well, that was just, that was how it was in those days. The French, was a the French have, I don't know if they still do, the French used to have crime passionnelle, a kind of passion, as a defence. Yep. So you could get off murder for it, uh, which Jesualdo did, did, by the way, oh. probably because of his noble status. He was let. They examined the. Scene. He left the bodies in the courtyard for everyone to see as well. Which it's a. It's a pretty terrible. So they didn't thing. try and cover up his crime. Not, then. In, <laughs> not remotely. Not in any sense. The authorities came and investigated it, and he and basically said, "Oh, this is all right." Because you know, basically, what else can you expect this man to do? Mm. Having found his wife doing this, he never got over it. We don't think he was stricken with guilt, remorse, and mental illness for the rest of his life. But out of this comes this amazing music because his music changes and his music becomes obsessed with sorrow. The same words that occur again and again in the madrigals are love, pain, regret, sorrow, death. But the music suddenly changes and it becomes... Now, you're more of an expert on the technicalities of music than me. Chromatic, heavily chromatic. It starts to use... Which is basically a whole other layer of feeling in music. Right. And it becomes... The harmonies change, it becomes dissonant. The harmonies become much stranger. And you don't really get any music after Jesualdo that sounds like this for 400 years or for 300 years till Wagner comes along. It's, he is a total one-off and a total pioneer. And if you hear the music, I suggest if you listen to Moro Lasso from the sixth book of Madrigals, I think it is, it sounds modern because the harmonies sound really strange and modern. And more, it's slightly, uh, it's quite lush as well, isn't it? Lush, but drenched in this yeah. kind of anguish Morose. and heartache. Yeah. And, um, and with these strange, otherworldly harmonies. And it is beautiful. But he, he then disappears from view for a long time until the 20th century. His music is just regarded as too odd, you know. And several hundred years later, in the middle of this, of the last century, a guy called Philip Heseltine, who is better known by his name, the pseudonym he took, Peter Warlock, British composer, yeah. best known, I guess, for the Capriol Suite, which is always on compilations you get in service stations of English music. Um, and he liked to party. Well, he did. There's <laughs> uh, very much a dark side to him. He's a podcast of his own. He Peter is, Warlock, for sure. dabbled in the occult, committed suicide, mm. mentally troubled. Some mm. people think he thought he was Jesualdo. Okay. He and a guy called Cecil Gray write a book about Jesualdo, which basically says, this dude is magnificent. You need to listen to his music. And they, they're they slightly jokey about the murder, which is um, to, to our eyes and ears a little bit uncomfortable, I find now. They're slightly dismissive of the actual horror of the murder because they were, we said, Warlock liked to dabble in dark things himself. If you read Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception, which is famous in the book he reads when he writes about his mescaline adventures, he listens to a Mozart piano concerto on mescaline and goes, I can't stand this, it's too cold, it's too horrible. So he puts some Jesualdo on. 
and basically enjoys the trip listening to Jesualdo. Wow. Peter Maxwell Davis was into him. Yeah. Alfred Schnicker, the Russian composer, wrote an opera about him. One of the other things he's supposed to have done, he's killed one of his children. There's no proof for this, but people think Jesualdo killed one of his children by swinging the poor child around. And in Schnicker's opera based on this, this is really grisly, in Schnicker's opera based on this, one of the staging effects is that dolls, baby dolls are used, being swung around on ropes on stage, six of them. Oh, my God. Which sounds pretty. This um, is, it's all very extreme, isn't it? Yeah. Which, and, I, which I, I can imagine would appeal to Warlock. Yeah, what's so a Warlock was into him, Aldous Huxley was into him, Schnick was into him. Herzog made a documentary he? about yeah. him, which is really weird. Called death, <laughs> called death for Five Voices. As if it could be anything else, really. It's but... really odd. You can get it on YouTube. It's a really odd Werner Herzog-y thing. Anna Calvi has said to, to the enemy a few years ago, I'm, I'm really influenced by this guy, Jesualdo. And you can hear that kind of drama in, in that. Which is incredible to think, really, that, you know, in four, over 400 years, he's still yeah. having this impact. It yeah. is quite rare of Renaissance composers, I think. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. What was it? Was he always just sort of there in the background until Warlock sort of brought him more to the foreground? Or, I, or did Warlock discover him somehow? Or? I think that Warlock and Cecil Gray book really did bring him back into, you know, I think he had drifted out of, out of did the world. Did they find him somewhere, though? Was he sort of still around? Well, I think his music had around... been knocking around, but it just, it was so odd at the time. That I think it was just regarded as a sort of oddity. Shelved, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was Warlock and Gray's book said this guy's a genius. He, you know, he predated modern music four hundred years before, which is extraordinary. And in later life, he became hugely troubled. Jesualdo, he, you know, he was a, he, he never got over this thing, but continued to write. He didn't just write madrigals, but it's these spooky, weird madrigals that are what he's. What he's best Haunting, for. isn't it? The sound Haunting of his music. is the word, yeah. Mm. And and if you don't know it, go and listen to some. It's fabulous. I, I absolutely love it. Start with Moral Lasso from the fifth or sixth, I can't remember which in our book of Madrigals, but both those late books of Madrigals are, are gorgeous. You should say he didn't kind of get off scot-free, as it were. It was a scandal. Yeah. The whole of Italy, or that part of Italy, talked about it. And I think it became, I think it was parodied in songs and things and in theatre. It was you know. probably almost as much a scandal, though, uh, by the fact that she was with somebody else <laughs> as that he killed her, you know. This is a glib comparison, but I'm guessing it might have been like the O.J. Simpson of that yeah. period of Renaissance Naples. You wow. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because he does get off, as it were. And becomes the famous murderer. The famous murderer who makes mm. the shocking music. But he did also, Gesualdo, he, he certainly punished himself. He lived in a kind of exile in his castle from then on. He withdrew from society and just made this, this music in isolation. He married again. But, well, yeah. <laughs> wow. Cecil Gray. That's, not, that's Ce- not something you put on your Tinder profile, is it? No. It's Stabbed not. ex-wife 200 yeah. times. I know. Lol. Cecil Gray, who co-wrote this book with Warlock, um, he says his second wife must have been an extremely virtuous lady because he didn't murder her. Yeah. So, but I, he did lock himself away. He sort of into a kind of self Maybe he was like, I've done that now. And it didn't go that well. And no. It's not made me feel that good. No, it, he certainly <laughs> didn't make him feel that good. I mean, we're not trying to excuse him, but he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't kind of just put it behind back. him. He didn't no. bounce back. That's a good word. <laughs> well, that's all for this week. It is. We'll be back. With more curious tales from the world of music, you we can don't know what bet yet. your bottom dollar. You can bet your, whatever your bottom <laughs> dollar is, you can bet it. So until the next time, from me, Bird Dangerous. And me, Pat Terrier. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Excellent. Notable, the podcast.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 